But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in the com- keeping this one commandment, or command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Thank God for his word. So uh, an easy question that you don't have to respond to, but I, I can probably guess the answer. If I was to say you were to live in a society, which society would you choose? Would you choose one that is characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like? I mean, there might be a few things in there you kind of think, hmm, that's not sound so bad. Maybe. Or on balance, would you think, I, I'd rather live in a society and a culture that is based on love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, on balance. First or second? Most of you being honest. <laughs> I'm sure most of you, all of you. Yeah. I mean, Paul is painting a picture in the light of all that he has, uh, has demonstrated from the Old Testament, from the truth of Jesus, to say this is the outcome of freedom, the outcome of trusting Jesus, the outcome of embracing the gospel because that's who he is. Or rather, do you live is the way of the pagans, the Gentiles, those uh, of the culture around? Uh, And that's pretty obvious to see. And even, he says, are you going to live marked by the law, uh, the Jewish kind of uh, law that that the Judaizers, those critics of the gospel, were saying, you can't have this abundant freedom and grace. You've got to have the marks, the works of the law to define and show who you are. Paul radically says, no, no, it's for freedom. Chapter 5, at the start of chapter 5, I spoke on that two weeks ago. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. That this is astonishing stuff. 
But Paul is saying we are set free in life. And there are two choices. All through the gospel, Jesus has said you can either remain in death or move into life. You can remain in the flesh or live by the Spirit. You can remain under law or you can live in grace. Believers, he says, in Jesus are free. And this is astonishing. It is astonishing because not only are we free from the past, we are also freed from the claims of the Jewish law, which was given as good to define and mark out what it meant to be God's people. But in the coming of Jesus, it has been superseded. For those religious people that Paul was writing to, for the Judaizers, in fact, anyone who is religious, we, we love to err towards rules, don't we? And we know that rules are good. I mean, imagine, imagine what it would be like if we had a highway code and we tore it up. Go to India and you understand what it means to look like for the highway code to be torn up. It would seem to result in chaos, wouldn't it? It would seem to result in just a free-for-all and it all to be abandoned and jettisoned. And actually, rather than being safe and secure and knowing what's what, it all becomes kind of all at sea or all traffic chaos. It wouldn't be so good at first glance. You could see why the Judaizers were saying, you can't just tear it up, you can't just rip it up. We need to know where the boundaries are. We need to know where the rules are. We need to know what is right, what is wrong. And Paul wouldn't say, that's rubbish, not at all. But he would say, but if you live by the law, you will die by it. A new way is coming. This is double freedom. Not only are we set free from the past, but we are set free from the claims of the Jewish law to the Judaizers and the Jewish people. The law looked to them like the very thing that stopped them behaving like the pagans in the first place. Why on earth would he do this? This double freedom. But Paul describes it in this way. That we are set free from the past, from this new exodus, this new rescue, this greater thing that Jesus has done. And we are given freedom into life. It's not just an abandoning of the rules, but actually it's a far greater freedom. It's a freedom into, into the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Remember, uh, twice it seems in in chapter 5, there was a phrase that Paul um, uh, spoke of, verse 16. I don't know if you caught it. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of, your, uh, of the flesh. And verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you notice that? That, that this following of Jesus, this living for Jesus, is this journey, it's this walk, it's this, it's this step by step, it's this motion, this movement, this journey with God. It's not freedom from and then we just kind of live recklessly and without abandon. It's now freedom into life that we are no longer constrained and judged and held guilty by uh, the, the constraints of the law, but we are freed from that into this living. What does that living look like? It looks like keeping in step with Jesus. It looks like keeping in step with his spirit. It looks like following him. It's not freedom into chaos, but freedom into living in step with the spirit, in step with Jesus. Does that make sense? That's by way of summary. 
You see, the law can't save. Paul has made that clear. But now when we trust Jesus, when we trust that he is the way of salvation, we put our life in his hands, trusting that he is the fulfillment of all God's promises, that he is the Savior and the Lord. We move and are born again. And as such, in the light of all that he has charted, of becoming children of God, children of the promise, this is how we live. Not legalistically. Not legalistically at all. Have have you noticed um, what happens when we tend towards legalism? If If you can remember back to school days, or a place where it's really clearly defined, maybe a church experience, it's really clear where the lines are drawn, about, particularly about behavior, about the outward. Religion tends towards the outward. Have you noticed that? Because it can't see the heart. I was with some, uh, some believers last week uh, in, in a Southern Baptist church. Woo! And uh, I felt kind of a little bold, bold straying into that territory. I'm joking. But the, the pastor there, godly man, wonderful, and I'm not criticizing him at all for this. Godly man, I was, I was uh, with someone who knew and said, that he's, I don't know, he must be in his late 50s. And they said that in all of his life, he's not had one drop of alcohol. And in many ways, that's really commendable. Uh, as a teetotal, as a, uh, as, a, as a sign of witness of saying, uh, I don't want to be compromised or don't want to kind of... Um, Uh, in any way, uh, allow myself to become under the influence of alcohol as a witness, as a sign. And as a, I think it's done as a kind of commitment to the Lord. But I know from within that culture, not not just particularly that church, but within that part of of America, and maybe uh, if if you're old enough in Christian circles, there were were kind of these rules that were established, not because of a heart motivation that I want to do this to honor Jesus, but as a kind of, a very clear definition of saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will not do this. I went, I mean, I obviously had a really debauched week last week because I went to the cinema. And it's not so long ago, that was a taboo for a Christian. To go to a dance. To not wear a hat if you're a lady in church. To not be in your Sunday best on a Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of smiling going on here. It wasn't so long ago, was it, that there were really clear rules about what it meant. Stray over them and people would question whether you were regenerate in the Lord, washed in his blood and so forth. Legalism. See, legalism at the heart of it tends towards an outward sign and an outward sign that would be easy to mark or to judge that in a, in, a, in, a, in a religious environment, it's very noticeable that people are watching to see just whether you conform. Totalitarian states are a long way down that line, but they're always watching, watching the outward to see if you conform to the rules. And it becomes burdensome and heavy and forever watching over the shoulder and instills a sense of, oh gosh, I'm being noticed. And that's not the gospel. That's not grace. Not to say that we we abandon everything and are reckless. It seems here quite clear that there is a contrast between those who live by the Spirit and those who live under the law or under pagan life. 
And this is the radicalness of the freedom of God. We are saved for love. We're not into rules, but saved for God. And as such, there is this, uh, there is this contrast between the works of the flesh that stuff that comes naturally, that stuff that is common and prevalent and part of our culture, the norms of society. And actually the work of God, the fruit of the Spirit, which actually should be the norm and the trait of his people. So Paul says, you know, if you don't have love, and he quotes from the Old Testament here, verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the freedom that we are called into isn't about rule keeping, but obeying the greatest commandment of love, seeking the love of God and applying it into every context. Now, that's easy to say and harder to work out. I know that. I know that as a pastor, I know that having journeyed with Jesus, of what does love look like? And it's a big debate currently. But it seems to be the hallmark of what we should be striving for and the goal to which we aim. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will soon be destroyed by each other. That's the truth, isn't it? If you start biting each other, I mean, children, if one bites, the other will bite back. So often adults behave more like children. So Paul says, particularly within a church context, remember this is, is written to believers. His instruction you know, is, isn't to just the outside, although he's, he is wanting to teach wisdom there, I guess. But to those who know Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour each other, Watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Reality check. We all desire the flesh. I've not come across a believer who isn't tempted. Have you? Jesus was tempted. Jesus had desires of the flesh. That may seem a shock to say, but the temptations had to be real. They had to be real for Jesus, such that in his humanity and his divinity, he could have sinned. He didn't. But he had desires of the flesh, just as we do, but lived by the Spirit, just as we are called to. Thankfully, he prevailed and overcame in every instance. That's why he's the savior. But we pointed out that there are two, there are two ways of, of going. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. In other words, as a Christian, it is a bit of a wrestling match. It is a bit of a tussle. It is, it is one of those things that sometimes we we gratify the desires of the sinful nature, that we actually opt for the characteristics we said we didn't want to. I'm sounding a bit like Paul in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. That's reality. But actually, the, the, the hope of this passage is that 
that Paul writes that with the Spirit of God inside us, that he is inside us, the deposit for every believer, the, the, the down payment, the assurance that we are children of God, Romans 8, that by him we cry, Abba, Father, or Ephesians 1, that he is that, that deposit guaranteeing the, etern- the future glory of his return and being with him in eternity. But not only that, that the Holy Spirit is at work within us, helping us to keep in step, not with the sinful nature, but with the godly, the kingdom way of living. They're in conflict with each other. And you're not to do, with, to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so he, he charts, verses 9 through to 21, what that looks like. We've read them. And then speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, the alternative way, the way that we're called into in freedom. Four things about fruit, and then a bit of fun, believe it or not, in church. There's lots to say about what we, the Spirit's work in us, and we, we can talk about gifts and, and all sorts. But it's really interesting here that in the works of the flesh, they are outward, aren't they? But the works of the Spirit are inward. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, self-control, etc. In other words, this isn't legalism. You know, you could tick a box to say idolatry, witchcraft, actions. I mean, they, they stem from a motive, clearly. But they're very much an outward action. The fruit of the Spirit actually stem from within. The work of God from within. This is freedom. Not that we're conforming to a set of criteria and rules of tick boxes, done that, done that, not done that. But actually, the work of God from within. The nature of fruit is that they are gradual. That the production of fruit takes time. It's not that at the moment that you become a believer that you suddenly uh, kind of ascend into some sort of altered reality where uh, that old characteristic is gone and and you're entirely kind of uh, defined by love and joy and peace and forbearance and kind of, if only it was so, church would be an amazingly simple place. Paul wouldn't have to write to us, bear with one another out of love and forgive whatever grievances you have. This is 1 Corinthians 13 language, isn't it? Uh, that stuff that we talk about at weddings. I mean, that is the closest relation that we have. And my goodness, that, that, that teaching is, is good advice in, in marriage. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. It's not enviful and boastful. It's gradual. It takes a continued walking, keeping in step with the Spirit that fruit grow gradually. But also that fruit grow inevitably. You know, if you're an apple tree or a pear tree, you produce apples or pears. That's the task, isn't it? That's what they do. I mean, if you starve them or, you know, poison them or, you know, put them in salt water or something, they're not going to bear fruit. But if you're planted in Christ and the Spirit is within you and you're walking day by day with Him, these fruit will gradually appear. That's the good news, isn't it? It's not that we screw up our faces and try really, 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 really much harder now. That the Holy Spirit loves for these to be developed. 
They're from within. But their effect can be seen. It's really interesting that I find if we were 21st century evangelicals, forgive me if you don't like those phrases, um, but the fruit of the Spirit isn't more Bible study or another hour of prayer or learning the latest uh, Matt Redmond's back catalogue or giving more or serving harder or being involved in another rotor. Not that those things are bad, but the work of God in the fruit of the Spirit with all believers comes from within. And just something that I hadn't noticed but, but found really exciting to see that when Paul speaks about fruit, the fruit, it's, it's like it's a bit... Um, it's like one of those funny English words, isn't it? Like if you've got a sheep and sheep, you don't know if I'm talking about one or two or five. If I talk about fruit or fruit, it's, a, it's one of those, I can't think of the technical word. It's, you can't always tell, plural or singular. Paul is really clear here. The fruit is one. In other words, the fruit of God, singular, has in these nine characteristics that the fruit of God is symmetrical what do I mean by that well as as you assess your life and I'm not suggesting we go around and audit each other although you could do that particularly if you're a husband or wife or someone close to you how, how am I doing on these nine traits these nine evidences these nine f signs of the fruit of the spirit in my life and the reason I, I want to emphasize is that it's, is that generally in my observation that most people have, I don't, I, naturally would be the wrong word, but, but sometimes some people are better at one or two of these than the others. Do you know what I mean? You mean you might be, you might be really, really faithful, but really not very joyous. You know, there's, there's a lot of Western Christians who don't have much joy me included. You might be very, very peaceful and serene, but put you in a the car, there's quite a lot of road rage slips out. <laughs> or Christmas checkout queues at the supermarket. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to point out is that it's not enough to say, well, I, I've got two or three fruit, that's fine with me. I'm doing all right in a third of the areas here. Well, you know, the others, well, you know, no one can be perfect after all, as a sort of get out. Actually, Paul is saying all of these are signs of the one spirit's work. I'm not saying that we shouldn't kind of focus on one and work on one and, and kind of think, well, I've got to do all nine at once. But what I am trying to say is that the sign of the spirit is that all these will become manifest in us, through us, over time. That a believer... Oh, and Jesus, who is spiritual because we regenerate by the Spirit, will be marked out by love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not pick and mix. It's not, I'm just going to take one or two thanks. And a sort of, 
you know, we'll let others focus on the, the other bits. This is what it looks like. I mean, look at Jesus. Isn't that him? Please don't hear this as I'm so far away and I'm getting condemned. The work of the Spirit is gradual. This takes time, a walk, a step, a journey. But we have begun. The Holy Spirit is great and doesn't give up. He loves to work this in us as we incline our attitude in freedom of not legalism, of not thinking I'm going to get condemned and, and burdened and it's just too much of living in the freedom of God, saying, fill me, Holy Spirit, that I choose, I, want to, I, I don't want to gratify the, my sinful flesh when, when these opportunities come up, and you know, I suggest that we, we don't engage in these things. It's, it, it doesn't promote the things of Christ. But to say, Lord, in me, through me, grow these. May they be seen, all of them, in my life. So just in, in closing, I've bought a bunch of fruit. It's a healthy day. There's all sorts. We've got bananas and strawberries and raspberries and blueberries and grapes and apples and pears. Um, there's not a great selection of fruit if you've not got a great supermarket in town. So there are some slight curiosities, but you're very welcome to take them. They're good to I mean, obviously, we've got some nice little oranges. I've got two limes gin and tonic later maybe, uh, and uh, some kiwis. And I suppose it is a fruit still, but an avocado. It is a fruit. It's a simple demonstration, and they are to represent. I haven't labeled them, but I have out here, and I'll, I'll put them on the front, the, the nine characteristics of, of a life of fruitfulness in the spirit. Of love, of joy, of peace, patience, of kindness, of goodness or integrity, of faithfulness or loyalty, of gentleness, humility, and self-control. And I want you to perhaps, I've only got two avocado and two limes. The fruit in itself doesn't particularly matter, but choose what you'd like. I'd like you to, to kind of come and give thanks as you think about your life and think, where in my life, and you, know, and you don't have to say anything, and I'm not labeling the fruit to say this is this, but to say, thank you, I see the work of God in my life in this particular aspect, and take a piece of fruit as just a way of saying, thank you, God, for your work in my life to this point. Hopefully, that doesn't exclude anybody. But also, you can take a second piece of fruit. You can take two blueberries or three strawberries. You know, we're not counting. We're not being legalistic. There's not a, bun a whole bunch of us here. <laughs> um, but also, so you're taking a piece of fruit and saying, thank you, God, that I recognize that I can see the Spirit's work in my life in this area. And, and you can see the piece of paper that I have and, and say, yeah, thank you, I see that. This isn't just me trying harder, the work of God in my life. And the second piece of fruit, 
You know, if you've not had your five of day yet, you're, up and you're doing well. Is this. Jesus, I, I recognize at the moment I need some peace. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to bring peace into the circumstance. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, because I need some joy. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that I need some self-control. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that I need some patience. So a quick summary. Love, agape love, as he talks about, is, is to serve for the good and the intrinsic value in somebody else. It's not loving someone just so you can get something from them in return. That the fruit of the Spirit is this characteristic of Jesus, of agape, of self-giving. It's the opposite of abuse and self-protection. It's of genuinely seeking the best and the good for the other, of love. Joy, joy in who God is and the worth of who he is. And it's the opposite of hopelessness or despair. Of knowing that we are with him and that brings a quiet, resolute contentment that tinges into joy that is not hopelessness or despairing. Peace is that wisdom and control of God that we are peaceful, that we are not on our own, that we are not abandoned. That he replaces anxiety and worry and fear. Replaced with quietness and trust that he is for us and good. Peace in who we are in him. Patience that Paul writes about is, uh, is, is patience is, is that when trouble is blowing up. Sorry, when, sorry, when we face troubles... Patience doesn't blow up or hit out. Have you reacted where you've blown up or hit out because something has stirred you up? Patience would be the opposite of that. Patience is the, op- is the opposite of res- resentment to God or cynicism or a lack of care. Kindness is that ability to serve others practically. To, uh, it's the opposite of envy. It's, the, it's that... Uh, uh, of, holding on, of grasping, of of not being able to bless someone else with something tangible and practical. Goodness or integrity is is about being the same person through and through, not a phony or not a hypocrite, or not one thing in one circumstance or another in another. Faithfulness or loyalty is, is about being reliable and true and trustworthy, of not being an opportunist, of being, or a fair weather friend, of being transparent in who we are, consistent. Gentleness or humble is the opposite of being superior or self-absorbed, of being able to, um, to get on the same level as someone and extend the hand of fellowship. And self-control is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, of not going for just the fickle or the sudden self-control. So two things, if you'd like and when you're ready, and if not, that's okay too. To come and find a piece of fruit that you know it's about one of the traits, maybe a couple, 
that you say, I'm thankful. I see the work of God in my life, be encouraged by. And also take another piece of fruit that you know represents you need help. You need to take the next step to resist the attitudes of the sinful nature and say, Holy Spirit, in this repeated pattern, in this circumstance that I'm facing, in this moment in life, would you grow gradually and from within, inevitably, your characteristic, the characteristic of Jesus? Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. So I'll, I'll put out the... Um, these little pieces of paper, nine, in no particular order, just as a little prompt, a reminder. Zach, um, are you able to, to come and lead us with some music?